Thank you, Barry. And now for our main message today, Mr. Randy Sherrick. Good morning and welcome two days after Thanksgiving. The title of this is The Disciples at the Well. What we are going to look at is how did the disciples respond when they were at the well? What did they say? How did they act? What was the purpose? What do we learn from what the disciples were doing? The whole event, this is all in John 4 with uh, what we call the woman at the well. But the whole event around, uh, it was revolving around a mindset. What was the mindset of the disciples and what is our mindset today? At the well was a specific location at a specific time for groups of people to be there at that specific time. Jesus was one group, the disciples another group, you had the woman was another group, and the townspeople was the fourth group that all converged at one location. Why did it happen, and what do we learn from it? We are going to look through the eyes of the disciples and see what they how did they respond, and what did Jesus have to say to them? Now, they did not have as great of a communication back and forth as the woman did, but what we are going to get is the questions they asked and how Jesus responded to it. If we look at the whole event as a whole, it shows our conversion from not knowing God, being exposed to God, accepting God, witnessing to God, and then witnessing to other people about God to where they come and proclaim Jesus as the Savior of the world. This one event, all of that happened, and it happened in the space of a couple or three hours. The disciples, their setup starts in John 4 and verse 8. For his disciples, that's Jesus' disciples, had gone away into the city to buy food. They came to the well, and the first thing Jesus does is send them away. Go get provisions. So now what is the mindset of the disciples. Their mindset is, we have to go get food. That's what our teacher told us to do, so that's what they did. It is an important setup. Why? Because we are going to get a parallel of two different groups, the woman and the disciples. How are they the same and how are they different? The disciples were sent away to where? Sigar, that was the name of the city. Full of what? Samaritans, of course. Just full of them. Well, that's where they lived. One of the cities. The disciples were going to what they considered a place full of 
heathens, non-believers, and people that was to eat with them, to even be around them, was considered to be unclean. So that's the mindset that the disciples have. What is our mindset? When we look at the world, what's our mindset? We just have come through a political season. What is our mindset of the opposing party? Do people hate the opposing party, the people that they voted against? And that works on both sides. This is the mindset that the disciples had. Now, do you realize Jesus sent the disciples to Sigar? As they were going there to get food, they could have passed a woman with a bucket to get water. Their paths crossed, and they avoided each other. The disciples went to where the harvest was great. The people did not know Jesus, a time to proclaim Jesus. The woman was going to a well where there was one person who was going to proclaim himself. Let's go to verse 27. We're still in John 4. And at this point, his disciples came. Jesus is getting done talking to the woman. And they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said. This is what they were thinking, but they did not say it. What do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went away into the city, and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they came out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now we have a setup. Here's the setup. The disciples came back to the well with the provisions, and they had two questions that they were that they thought but were unwilling to ask the disciple or ask Jesus or the woman. The question they were going to ask the woman is, "What do you seek?" Is that not the exact same question that was basically asked to the woman by Jesus when he said, can you give me a drink? The disciples were in the exact same mindset. The mindset of, why are you talking to someone you shouldn't be talking? And they had a question for Jesus also. The question is, why are you talking with her? The exact same thing that she asked Jesus. Why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. You shouldn't be talking to me. The disciples asked, well, they thought the exact same thing that the woman asked. The disciples were going down 
the exact same trail as the woman. Why? Because of the place. The place was where two parties do not interact. Jews don't interact with Samaritans, and Samaritans don't interact with Jews. They were only going to, according to their culture. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, do we see somebody and say, ooh, I can't talk to them? Or if you see one of your brothers or sisters talking to someone of, let's say, ill repute, and you're thinking, why is my brother or sister talking to that person? That's exactly what the disciples were thinking, and it's what the woman said to Jesus. Do we allow this world to affect us so much that we are not willing to talk to someone that we, we classify as being unworthy? All you have to ask yourself, if you want to put this to a test, when you see someone holding a sign that says whatever and they're after money, what's the first thing that goes through your mind? We know what went through the apostle or the disciples' minds. It was, why are you talking to her? They couldn't get past the barriers of their time, of their training, upbringing. There was barriers that they could not go beyond. And they couldn't believe that Jesus went beyond them. You realize that when Jesus talked to this woman, he talked to her probably maybe less than an hour to no more than two hours Long enough for the disciples to go into the city, get the food, a place they didn't want to be in, a place they tried to get out as quick as possible, because that's where you are unclean. So it's probably less than an hour, but we don't know, but definitely no more than two hours is all it took, two hours or less, for a woman to be converted and not only converted, but to proclaim God to others. <clears throat> when you think physical, that's how the woman thought, that's how the disciples were, th were thinking. When you think physical, are you restricting the plan of God? God had everyone at that well for a specific purpose. And if you're not going to talk to the woman, are you taken away from the purpose that the father had? The woman, this is in John 4, 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. That's when Jesus asked her for water. Where then did you get that, or that living water? The, she was asking a question. How are you going to do what you said? Now this is the disciples. This is John 4, 31. In the meantime, 
his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? They did what Jesus said. Go get provisions, bring them back. They did that. And then they said, Jesus, here's food, eat. And he said, no, I've already eaten. Now, as the woman said, you don't have a bucket, as the disciples are saying, same as the woman. They are in the same mindset. They're thinking, well, I know he's not going to eat from a Samaritan. Did another Jew come by while we were gone and give Jesus food? Where did you get this food? Did someone bring it to him? <clears throat> the disciples, what they were after was to give Jesus physical food. Why? What was the location? The location is where you don't travel you don't go through Samaria, you go around Samaria. They're in Samaria, they want to get out of Samaria. Jesus is resting, he's tired, go get food, they got food, they brought it back, let's give Jesus food so we can get out of Samaria. And Jesus said, hey, I've already eaten. So they're asking why, how? Same as the woman asked, how do you have this living water? You don't have a bucket. Do we, this is the question, this whole situation is full of questions. Do we ask the disciples, do we try to get away from a situation because we don't like the situation? Someone comes up and asks you for a dollar or money or whatever. Is your instinct get away from them as quickly as possible? Or are you going to go as Jesus went? Let me talk to you. Let me see what I can do for you. Maybe I can't give you money, but maybe I can give you more. Is that not what Peter said to a beggar? I don't have silver or gold, but what I have is more valuable. Stand up and walk. They didn't run away from a situation. They glorified God in that situation. Jesus is glorifying the Father through the woman as the disciples want to get out of that area. They were not thinking spiritually. So the question we have to ask ourselves, are we like the disciples? We're followers of God. Oh, we pick up the book. We read the book. We get on our knees. We pray. But do we pray as God wants us to? Do we study as God wants us to? Or are we like the disciples at a well wanting to get away from there? John 4.32, it says, But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. 
He made a statement right there. I have food and you don't know nothing about it. So if you don't know about something, can it be held against you? If you don't know something, don't you want to know it? Don't you want to learn? See, that's what Jesus just said. I know something that you don't know, and I'm going to reveal it to you. And what he's talking about is food, but not the food that we all always think about. When you go up to anyone and you talk about food, what do you think they're thinking about? Physical food. When Jesus talks about food, what do you think he's talking about? It's all spiritual. When we think about anything dealing with our spiritual life and our physical life, our physical life should be reflecting our spiritual life. Here's what Jesus is going to show them. Because he told them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? The Samaritan woman was given that same opportunity. I have living water. And what did she say in John 4.12? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? She's thinking physical, same as they are. And is that how we are thinking today? Are we thinking the exact same way as the woman thought, as the disciples thought? The disciples, they are acting, they're acting and they're treating Jesus same as this Samaritan woman was acting and treating Jesus. Like I said, they were given a job and that is where their mindset was, food. Provisions. God has given us a job. Here's what we, here is the great commission. Go throughout all the world and preach the kingdom of God. Okay? Sounds real good. Now, is that how we look at our spiritual life? Is that how we live our physical life? Oh, we got to preach it throughout all the whole, throughout the whole world. Instead of this guy with a sign. Can I talk to him? Can I help him a little bit? Oh no, I'm going throughout the world, not this one guy with a sign. Do we go to a well and we don't recognize the opportunity that God has given us? He said... I have food to eat. What food was Jesus talking about? See, this is where we are blessed. This is also where we are hindered. We are blessed with hindsight. We are hindered if we have not learned from history. The food, of course, is spiritual food. But you realize that the food that the disciples had was a temporary food. It was a physical food. It was a food that after a certain amount of time would be useless. You eat a meal. A few hours later, guess what? You're hungry again. 
But here's the thing about the food that Jesus has. You eat from Jesus. You're reading out of the Bible. You're praying. You are trying to get Jesus to know Jesus and the Father a little better. And as you get to know him a little better, what happens? Do you start hungering for more? Once when you get that little bit more, you want even more. And it gets to where you want more and more. Spiritual food should make us hunger more and more. Where physical food, it fills us up temporarily. And then it's gone. It's useless. Spiritual food will stay with you forever. If you have it. If you want it. If you are eating it. John, Peter, I mean, um, Jesus asked Peter a question, the same question three times. And did Peter get it? Do we get it? This, I'm just referencing it just to tell you it's in John 21. Peter, um, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? A question that Jesus asked us, and Peter said yes. And what did God say? Feed my sheep. Then Jesus said again, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, you know I love you. And what did Jesus say? Tend my sheep. And then a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was getting kind of frustrated at this point. Of course you know I love you. And what did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Feed them what? It's not the physical food. Physical food is useless in the long term. It's spiritual food. Jesus kept saying over and over and over, feed my sheep spiritual food. That's what they're hungering for. That's what they want. Spiritual food like I said, will last your entire lifetime. It will make you hungrier. But we're at a location. The location is a well. The location is in Samaria. The location is where a good Jew would not ever want to willingly go to. And that is where Jesus took his disciples. The location has been influencing all or both parties, the woman and, and the disciples' minds. Their minds are being influenced. Why? Because of where they were born, how they were raised, what they were taught, what the community, what the environment says. The environment says Jews don't drink out of our well. The environment said Jews don't come to this well. They are all coming from the mind, same mindset. The woman and the disciples. They have the exact same mindset. The problem is, do we have that exact same mindset? Are there people you do not want to witness to. And when I say witness, 
I'm not talking just through your speech, but through your actions. Are there people that you totally avoid? That you want nothing to do with? That was the disciples with the woman. They wanted nothing to do with her. That was the disciples with the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with them. Is that us with somebody or a group of people in our lives that we want nothing to do with them? And then this is what's even worse. We want nothing to do with them. And then we start telling people how bad they are. That's what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that's how they talked about the Samaritans. They taught people how bad the Samaritans were. Are you a Pharisee, a Sadducee, talking about how bad a group of people is? And here's the whole problem with that entire mind thought. The Father loves them. Who you're talking about bad, the Father loved so much that he sent his son here to die for those people or person that you dislike. Jesus died for them as he died for us. That's what he's trying to get across. Get out of the mindset that the culture, that the environment that you were raised up in, both the woman and the disciples had that mindset. Do we have that mindset? Or do we eat as Jesus eat, spiritual food. That's where he found his food. When we are given a piece of information, when we read the Bible, when something is revealed to us, do we take ownership of it? Or do we say, that doesn't quite fit what I want, so I am going to tweak it to fit what I want. That's human nature. Do we take ownership of what God has blessed us with? John 4:34. Jesus said to them, my food. He is about to tell them what sustains his life. What his life is about us when we think of sustaining our lives we think of physical food Jesus went 40 days and 40 nights without physical food he went 40 days and 40 nights eating spiritual food and how did he come out of it great we take 40 days 40 nights of eating physical food at the end of it how do we come out of it possibly overweight He came out of it greater. Here is his food. This is the food Jesus eats. My food is. God says, God is love. So if he's saying my food is, this is what it is. To do the will of him who sent me, not only that, and to finish his work. 
What sustains Jesus? To do the will of who sent him. What does that mean? It means he is going to obey the Father. If the Father says, he does. If the Father says don't, he doesn't. Down to, if you want to get into a physical mindset, down to being a Pharisee. Now when I say that, I'm not talking all the physical stuff that man makes. But if God says, don't eat, he will check to make sure that in the ingredients, it is not in it because the Father said, don't. Now people will jump and say, oh, that's pharisaical. It's just obeying the Father. He said, don't, so why should I? And just remember this, one little bit, just one little bit of sin is all that Satan wanted. Just a little bit of fried pig grease on his hamburger is all he wanted. Because then at that point he could look at the father and said, he just broke your law. Your law is you are not to eat pig. And he just did. So you can say, oh, that's pharisaical. That's up to you. Your relationship with to the Father is up to you. My relationship with the Father is up to me. Jesus' relationship with the Father was to obey everything that the Father said. He said, <clears throat> to do the will of him who sent me. And then here's the second part of it. And to finish his work. You realize that the work of God was not finished? That's what Jesus just told us. I need to finish his work. Well, let me ask you right now. Is the work of the Father done? Jesus died. Paid the penalty for sin. So is the work done or is Jesus still working now? He completed the physical part of what was required by the Father. But is there more required by the Father spiritually to get the bride together? Jesus is still working. If Jesus came to this earth, died for us, was resurrected, and he's still working should we not be working just as much and just as hard as he is? Just because we get through one little thing doesn't mean that our job is done. No. We have to continue to work. Spiritual food. It was the mission that Jesus came to this earth for, to obey the Father. And by obeying the Father, he was blessed with a crucifixion that he passed to be our Savior. There's all kinds of side things, side benefits by Jesus obeying the word of the Father. 
you could say that Jesus had tunnel vision. What do I mean by that? You are so focused on one thing, you don't see all the distractions coming in from all the other angles. I said he went 40 days and 40 nights without food. How did he come out at the end of that? He passed that we know of three tests from um, Satan. That's only the three that was recorded. How many more? Who knows? First one, turn stones into food. And he said, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word, not some, not partial, every word. The next, Satan says, throw yourself down on this cliff because it says that you won't stub a toe. And what did he say? Do not tempt God. Do we tempt God by twisting his words to make it fit how we were brought up? Are we breaking one of those two tests that Jesus was able to pass? And then what was the third one? Just bow down to me and you can have everything. And he said, you shall have no other gods. Get away from me. He showed us how to pass every test. How to fulfill the will of God. He did it by going 40 days, 40 nights, eating nothing but spiritual food and resisting Satan 100%. His diet was spiritual food, the will of the Father, and to finish the job. Are we that committed? Now, I'm not saying you have to go 40 days and 40 nights without food. No, your relationship is with the Father. My relationship is with the Father. How you want to deal with that relationship is up to you. Jesus showed us how he dealt with it. Peter, he had tunnel vision. When he said, command me to come out of this boat and let me walk on water. He walked on water. As long as he did what? Had his eyes on Jesus. The minute he lost that tunnel vision, which means you know where your goal is, you know what your goal is, and you're going for your goal. The minute you lose that and you get a distraction, which then it was waves, what happened? He started to sink. Why? Because he didn't have tunnel vision anymore. What's our tunnel vision? The will of God. And to complete it to the end of my life. Or the return of Jesus. Jesus told us what to eat and what we will get out of it. Do we believe Jesus? Jesus told us how he was sustained by doing the will of God and that he had to finish God's work. So once again, what sustains us? What is the food that sustains us? Okay, how do we get spiritual food? Number one is exactly what we're doing today. 
listening. Okay, you're listening to me, but you're listening, hopefully I pray, that it is the word of God. And if it's not, you will definitely tell me, which I want to know. But we're going to be talking to each other later on. What are we going to be talking about? Are we going to be talking about God? I have a problem. Can you help me? And we have all of us to determine, can we get through a problem someone may have? Are we talking about God and listening to other people? You have to hear what is being said. You listen through sermons. You listen through Bible studies, lectures that are on the internet, the iPhone. You are listening to the word of God however you can get it. And then on top of listening, you're talking about God. You are telling other people what you have discovered. This woman discovered the Messiah and went to the city to tell everyone. Are we that dedicated? That motivated? Next, you have to read the Word of God. How do you read it? You have the Bible. There are booklets out there. There's literature articles, magazines, there are books. There is a ton of spiritual food out there. Are we consuming it? Or is it too much of an effort that, oh, I got something more important? Well, it's your spiritual food. What's more important than that? That's between you and the Father. Then after you, hear the word, read the word, talk about the word. Do you reflect, dwell, or meditate on what you have learned? You know, King David said he meditated day and night on the law. And what is the law? The word of God. He always kept thinking about God. It was always in his mind. And if it's always in your mind and you're always remembering God, then won't God start to dwell in your heart, mind, and soul and then it will start to come out? If it's not inside you, then how can it come out? We have to get stuffed with spiritual food as Jesus was to the full. Where's our priorities? That's what it comes down to. Is our priorities physical food? Is it praise, glory, power, ruling something in this world? Is it an obsession we have that supersedes everything else? Husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, job, kids, family. Is there something that supersedes Spiritual food to where it's more important than spiritual food. This woman wanted the spiritual food. God, Jesus, was willing to give it to her. But here's the whole thing. She got it, and then what did she do with it? She spread it. Do we spread 
what we are told, what we learn, what we hear? Or do we keep it to ourselves? What's the will of God? In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, it says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. That's what Jesus wants for us. He told us, this is the will of God. Are we doing it? If you go to Ephesians 1, 11 through 12, it tells you some of the benefits. One is an inheritance. We want to have an inheritance to be in the first resurrection. We were predestined. We go according to the counsel of the Father's will. That we trust in Jesus and that we praise are to the praise of his glory. That's Ephesians 1, 11 through 12. That's what God, the Father, that is his will of what he wants to give us an inheritance. And in 1 Thessalonians, it's what we do to show that we're always rejoicing. Do we have the will of God in us? And how do you get it? Through spiritual food. Now, as we know, the Father loved Jesus. Here's how much he loved Jesus. John 16, 27, this is just a reference, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. The Father loves us because we love Jesus and have believed That I, that's Jesus, came from the Father. I came from the Father and entered the world. In turn, I will leave the world and go to the Father. He just told us he came from the Father and he's going back to the Father. He is doing the will of the Father. Are we? And then, um, why did the Father send Jesus here? In 1 John 4, 14, just a reference. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. That is exactly what all the Samaritans said after two days of Jesus being with them, teaching them. They said at the end, You are the Savior of the world. Jesus came here to finish the Father's work, both physical and spiritually. And today, Jesus is continuing to finish the Father's work. So the question is always about, are we, and what is the will of the Father? It's to expand his, his family, to get a bride for his son, and that, in turn, will produce children. That's what the Father is after. That's what the Father wants. And the Son is working to accomplish that. 
Let's turn to John 4.35. This is now. Jesus told us what we are to eat, what sustains him. Now he's talking to the disciples, and he's talking to us. Here's what he says to the disciples. This is John 4.35. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. What is he saying? Here in the very beginning, he starts off with, do you not say? This is a saying that they have. There are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Four months is how people look. It's like Rome is not built in a day. It takes time. Well, is that our downfall right there? Time. You can either use it for a benefit or a downfall. Here's a downfall. The saying, there are still four months to come to harvest. So what does that mean? Oh, wow. I don't have to worry. I can sit back, relax. I can, I planted the seeds, now I don't need to worry about it. Because in four months they will raise or they will grow, and then I'll harvest them. I can sit back, I can relax, I can eat, sleep, be merry. I don't need to work for four months. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. He is saying anything but it. He is saying, do not have this mindset that I can sit back and wait. We cannot sit back and wait. Harvest. What is harvest? Harvest is a time of work, not a time of sitting. That is when you go out and you reap what has been sown. What is God saying? Proverbs. This is just, it's Proverbs 24, 33, and also Proverbs 6, 10 through 11 says the exact same thing. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and need like a bandit. He's saying, okay, you say there's four months. You want to sit back and relax and do nothing? Forget it. It will come like a robber, and you are stolen. Everything you could have accomplished is gone because you decided to sleep in. You decided to sit back and to relax. The harvest is about us. Right now, right now we're talking individually. We're not talking about the world or anything like that. Seeds were grown we were planted when we went under the baptismal water, came up, had hands laid on us. We were planted. Now, what are we doing? Are we saying, oh, now I've got it made. Now I wait for Jesus to come, and I'm in the first resurrection. No. That's what Jesus is saying not to do. Now is the time to work. Now is the time to get as close 
to the Father, to Jesus, as possible, so that you're thinking like them. Your expressions are like theirs. What comes out of your mouth does not sound like the world, but sounds like what comes from Jesus. How you act is not like the world. It is different. You look, act different. You sound different. Now is the time to get there before either our death or the resurrection, or I mean the return of Jesus Christ. Now is the time to work. That's why he's saying, don't sit back. It is not a time to wait for Jesus. It is a time to become Jesus. It said, Behold, I say to you, this is Jesus saying to the disciples. And you know, when I talk about the disciples, I'm talking about the 12 disciples, yes, because that's who was there. But you realize that there was actually 13 disciples there at the well. What did that woman become when she left? Was she not a disciple that went out and spread the word? She was taught by Jesus. And she went out and spread the word. Are we not ourselves being taught by Jesus through the Bible? Through the Father's Holy Spirit? Are we not disciples also? Proclaiming the good news to the world of what is to come? Okay, we have disciples. We are at this well. Not the physical well, the spiritual well. That's where we're at. Forget that physical well. It means nothing to us because we're not there, but we're at the spiritual well. And God just said, Jesus just said, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. That is the world around us. For they are already white for harvest. Why? That's a question I have for you. Why are the fields white with harvest? I'll tell you why. Because one little white ripe, whatever the woman, went to a town. She spent minutes just minutes, sowing seeds. And then all of a sudden, all those seeds started to grow, and out they came. One little white ball went in, and now all of these white balls come out. Why? Because of her work that was given to her by Jesus. Jesus told her she accepted she went, proclaimed Jesus. Now the fields are white. When she left, the fields were not white. Before she came, the fields were not white. They became white when Jesus enlightened her. She believed, she proclaimed, and now they're coming. 
our fields are not white if we are not proclaiming Jesus the Father to those we have influence with, which is anyone we come in contact with. The disciples came in contact with the people in Samaria or in Sigar, and none of them followed them out. None of them. She went, and out they came. She did the work. The disciples did not do the work. But there's a reason for that. See, we cannot dog the disciples, and this may be a reason. Now, is hindering us also. The woman, why was she able to do what she did? Why did she believe? We're back in John 4. Go to verse 25. This is Jesus talking to the woman. This is what the woman said. This is important. This is something I have never, ever seen until this morning. And you're not going to find it on your sheets. I didn't have time to put it on your sheets. This is Matthew, I mean, John 4, 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, this, now we have two things right here. I know he is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. She had two conditions. I know Jesus is coming. She calls him Messiah, we call him Jesus. We all know that. All of us here, we know Jesus is returning. She knew Jesus was going to come. And then what was the second part? This is the key. This is the key. He will tell us all things. The condition that it's the Messiah, he will tell us all things. What did Jesus tell her? Didn't he? And this is what she even told him. Verse 29. Come see a man. Didn't call him Messiah, a man. Who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah, the teacher? She was looking for something. She got exactly what she was looking for. Someone that could tell her all things. That man just told her all things. Therefore, that man is the Messiah, which in truth he is. He fulfilled what she was looking for. She believed. Now, the disciples. The disciples knew that Jesus was on earth. That one, that part's taken care of. But... Here's their downfall. This is our downfall. How do we see the Messiah? She saw the Messiah as someone that knows all. That's who she got. Here's what the Messiah, or I mean, this is what the disciples are looking for. This is Acts 1.6. Acts 1.6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, this is the question. This is what they are looking for. Eternal, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you the Messiah? Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Jesus said, no, 
I'm not. When did they start to be as the woman? Was it not at Pentecost when all of a sudden Holy Spirit came on them? And what did Peter do? He went out and proclaimed. At that point with the Holy Spirit. It took the Holy Spirit for them to know, to see. And at that point, they were no longer disciples. They were apostles going out throughout the world proclaiming Jesus. Their perception of who Jesus was was not who Jesus was. Their perception was, will at this time you restore the kingdom of Israel? No, that's not who the Messiah is. The Messiah is going to restore the kingdom. That's what we're looking at. It's called the millennium. It's called him returning. But here's the question. Are we, and this is individually, I can't say this is for everyone. Are we looking for a Messiah that is not the Messiah that we are looking for? I have a Messiah. When I donate, when I give tithes of $1,000, I expect to see $10,000 coming back in my bank account. That's my Messiah. Now, if he doesn't do that, then I don't have that Messiah. But I know the Messiah is coming to earth. Now, where's my 10000 Here's my checkbook. Show me. That's just an example. Do we expect things from God that he says, no, this is not the time. This is not the place. Get out of your expectations and literally read what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says. You will be hated. Hated. You will have to give up your family, your wife, your child. You are going to have to go into jail, into prison. You are going to have to die. That is what the Messiah told us. Now he told us other things also. I will not try you more than you can handle. So just remember this. If you are going through that, it's because you can handle it. Now we may not think we can handle it. But he also gave us another clue. I will give you an avenue of escape. Well, we want to get out of bad stuff. All of us do. And then he said one other thing. Well, he said a lot more, but I'm going to try you. It's not going to be more than you can handle. I will give you an avenue of escape. And if you pass, as Abraham passed with his son, Isaac, the first resurrection, becoming the bride of Christ. That is what we have to look forward to. That is our Messiah. Part of him. Now, like I said, everyone sees or 
Just read what he has to say. That is the Messiah. Not the one that the world conjures up. Not the one that the twelve disciples thought they knew. But that is the real Messiah. You do realize we get that we have to work. Here is an example. Those parables that Jesus gave were just not stories. We have to work. How about the ten virgins? You have four months before the harvest. Five of those virgins had enough oil to go on. Five of them did a little slumbering, did a little folding of the hands, did a little of nothing, and they didn't have enough. They ran out of time. The four months was up, and they were without. We don't want to be without. The four months is now. It's not tomorrow. You realize it's not even a second from now. It is now. Because that second I said is in the past. Okay. We get a reward. That reward is shown to us through the parable of the talents. That's in Matthew 25. I'm not turning to it because I'm not reading it. But the talents, one had, um, what, ten or five? One had um, five or two, I forget, one or three, and one had one. Now, the two with the greater amounts, they doubled it. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But how about the one with the one? What did he say? I knew you were a hard master. I knew you reaped where you never reaped or where you didn't sow. I buried what you gave me. I took those four months, wrapped it in a cloth, buried it in the ground. Here's your talent back. And what did Jesus say? You wicked servant. And he cast him out. Because he did not work. He did not eat of the spiritual food that Jesus eats from. That Jesus told us how to eat from. In um, John 4.37 it says, For in this the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for, for which you have not labored, others had labored, and you have entered into their labor. There were people sowing before we came into the church. You realize Abraham was a sower through his example? <clears throat> the prophets, they were sowing seeds everywhere. What's a sower? Someone proclaiming the word of God. King David was a sower. There, the twelve disciples, well, eleven disciples, were sowers. This woman was a sower. Are we sowers? Now, here's the thing. 
Some sows, some reaps. Organization, Worldwide Church of God, beginning of the 1900s through the 1900s, they were an organization that was sowing seeds. They had booklets. They had magazines. They were on radio. They were on TV. They were throughout the world having broadcasts, having booklets, going everywhere. They had churches everywhere. But they died. But, as Jesus said, the seed must die so that others can grow. What do we have? From the seeds that was sown from that organization, how many, possibly, I don't know, hundreds of other organizations are there now that are there because of the seeds that was sown by an organization that died. Now the apostles, they all died. Abraham died. Seeds are grown, sown. They were harvested by all of these other groups proclaiming the word of God. Somebody sowed seeds for us so that we could be here now. However you got here, you may say, oh, it was however. I just stumbled on it. Well, how did you stumble on it? And what's the, what's the tree all the way back of how seeds were sown to get to us today? So if seeds were sown so we could be here, are we not sowing seeds now? Ask yourself this question. Why are some organizations huge? Some churches are huge. Some churches are small. Some churches are growing. Some churches are stagnant. Some churches are dying. And some churches are dead. Why? Were the churches that were growing sowing seeds everywhere? And not only sowing, but harvesting them by talking to people, by allowing the word of God to influence others. Those that are stagnant, they're not sowing seeds. And those that are dying, they're withholding seeds. Now, I'm not saying that if you sow seeds, you're going to grow like a monster. No, that's up to God. But are you growing seeds? And if you're not growing seeds, then why, are, why should God give us any at all? If we're not using what God gives us, then why should he give us anything? And I'm not talking this as a collective. I am talking individually. If God gives you a piece of knowledge and you don't let anyone know about it, you're holding it for yourself, then why should he give you any more? Why? There's no reason. What is our reward? Here on earth, it's to have more people come in to be the children of God so that they can be part of the bride. Our reward is the first resurrection. Our treasure is in heaven. Here's the question. Are you hiding your talents? Are you like the disciples 
going into a city that was ripe for harvest or for planting, which the woman did. Are you the woman planting seeds, having people come to Jesus, or are you one of the disciples going into a place ripe for seeds and returning without planting a thing? That's between you and God. That's between you and the Father. That is something you have to come to terms with. Are we the woman or are we the disciples?